What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What's up, y'all? This is Ade. Before we get into Amy's episode, I wanted to share some advice on working remotely. For those of us um, who are impacted by COVID-19, more commonly known as coronavirus, or if you're not um, at all impacted by COVID-19, but you are working and transitioning into um, a more remote lifestyle, I just wanted to share six quick tips um, that you might want to try out to work for you. I do want to say that I don't necessarily abide by all of these rules. I simply know that they're good things to follow based off of me implementing them at some point or another, or um, folks who are better, smarter than me offering these things up as advice. So first and foremost, I would set up a strict calendar. By that, I mean, I would accept every invite for every meeting. I would have um, any break times that I wanted to schedule Um, If there's a point when you're working remotely where you have um, a cleaner or a plumber or you have a doctor's appointment, keep an updated calendar and make sure that you are updating um, your team because it helps you work asynchronously across your team. Um, If folks know that you're not going to be available between the hours of 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Eastern time because you're asleep or some psychos are in the gym, um, it gives them an opportunity to uh, not uh, pester you while you're away, but also think through some questions and how they may better utilize your your time when you do get back um, online. My second tip would be to use check-ins with your coworkers. Um, By that, I mean um, use your daily stand-ups, use your um, Slack team channels if that's a thing. Use those things to keep in contact with your teams because it's very easy to uh, lose perspective in, in, a, in a sense and lose empathy for your friends or for your coworkers if they're not constantly um, top of mind. So in that sense, um, I would remember, you know, team birthdays, maybe establishing a Slack reminder that it's someone's birthday, you all should go drop a happy birthday gift um, in their messages. All of that to say that if you can remember to treat your teammates as teammates, as people, not just, you know, an avatar on the other side of um, this conversation you're having about poorly deployed code, it it makes for a better work environment, such as as distributed as it may be. Um, thirdly, and these are also sort of go hand in hand, but I would say that you should over communicate. Um, this also kind of ties into your strict calendar over communicate, ensure that, 
um, any time away from your desk, any planned work that you're going to be um, working on, any roadblocks that you're having, you say th those things before they become problems because it's so much easier um, to kind of get ahead of the horse before it gets out of the stable. I don't know if that's a an idiom that people actually use anymore, <laughs> but um, I, I I do think that it's it's important to ensure that um, folks aren't caught blindsided. That um, if you've been working on something and you're stuck on it, give people an opportunity to help you out, um, and give you others the the grace to see where you are. Um, so that you don't foster resentment. It's much easier to get something done if you speak up about it um, sooner rather than later. And it's difficult, I know for one. Um, it's something that I've had my issues with, but um, especially in situations where you are you know, bound to your home, um, reduce your stress levels and just ask for help. Actually, there was one thing that I didn't mention um, at the top when I said set up a strict calendar. On your calendars, I also recommend that you put um, your self-cues. If you're someone like me who, I drink a lot of caffeine over the course of the day, um, and I recently spoke to a nutritionist who kind of reminded me that when you um, work asynchronously and when you, you consume a lot of caffeine, caffeine suppresses your appetite um, and it causes you to fall into really unhealthy eating patterns. Um, more often than not, when you find yourself at home throughout the day, you get really comfortable, too comfortable sometimes. Um, so I kind of encourage that you set up your calendar so that you have a routine so that you're not just, you know, at home and not separating what is home from what is official work time. Set up your calendar so, so that you have a routine, um, have you know time for a shower time for breakfast time for the gym if that's something you do in the morning um so that you have a much more regimented schedule and on your calendar as well put in your hunger cues if you're going to eat at i don't know 7 a.m if you're going to eat breakfast or drink a smoothie at 7 a.m it stands to reason that by maybe 11 you might need a small snack so put a snack cue in your calendar um, maybe at 12.30, you're going to need your, your larger lunch. Put your lunch on your calendar. These things are, are important to help you establish a routine around your, your new lifestyle. Okay, we skipped back up to one, so I'm just going to um, finish up with five and six. Number five is to protect your space. Um, whether it's that you need a physical demarcation of where work happens versus where life happens, or if you're the sort of person who um, are able to you know, keep up with the simultaneous demands of your work life and your home life. And it doesn't really matter where you work as long as work gets done. Just make sure you're protecting your space. Make sure that um, if your close of business is 5 p.m., that you're not allowing the fact that you've worked from home to have you check you know, emails at 11.30 p.m. when you're supposed to be asleep. Um, ensure that you're protecting your space and establishing boundaries in that way um, and help others um, understand and respect those things by, by communicating what your boundaries are. Um, just because we're working from home and we're mandated to work from home doesn't mean that my time after you know 5.30 p.m. is available to you. And if you see me online, mind your business. Um, as far as you are concerned, I am off work unless it is a dire emergency. 
Um, and then the sixth thing is don't forget to move. Um, it's very easy. I know I fell into the trap of um, eating inconsistently, um, overindulging, underindulging, such that after I had worked remotely for a while, I realized that it was getting harder for me to like move physically. Um, and it's easier to get ahead of that by simply incorporating movement into your day um, so that you don't develop back problems or spine problems or anything like that um, as far as your, your abilities may allow. But I also think that it's a, a good way to get out of the monotony and to um, inject some freshness and a fresh perspective into your day if you just incorporate a quick 10-minute walk um, or maybe do some squats or, you know, whatever it may be that you can incorporate into your life to make your life easier um, that is helpful and beneficial to you and obviously doesn't take away from um, you enjoying your day. I would say you should you should incorporate those things. I've been blathering on for a while. I hope these um, tips helped you out. Um, please let us know if there are any tips that um, work for you when you work remotely um, or asynchronously with your teams. Um, that's it for now from me. Thank you so much for listening in. Next up, you have Amy. Hi, Yuso. Thank you for joining me. Hello, Amy. Good evening. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about your job as a, uh, a tech auditor and um, how you got into that work. Okay, sure. So um, being in public accounting, I, uh, I guess I can say I happened upon it. So I had an undergrad in accounting and I was in grad school studying finance. Um, given that I had accounting background, I figured, hey, finance will be a good thing that can, you know, supplement and complement, I guess, my accounting degree. But I started doing that and I realized I really didn't like finance. So I added information systems as a second major. But doing that opened up because this was back in 2002 to 2004 when Enron was happening, Anderson was going down. Um, so SOX became a big thing. I graduated in 04 and SOX was in, you know, um, filers had to be compliant with SOX in 2004. And SOX um, is the Sarbanes-Oxley Sarbanes legislation yes. that sought to put some protections in place for consumers because companies were behaving very badly. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I could not have said that better. <laughs> and so um, most companies, especially large companies, were required to have IT audits performed. They have controls that they've implemented, and these controls need to be validated. So that's kind of how I got into the IT audit realm. Um, now, fast forward uh, 15 years, I'm still doing it because I absolutely love it. I love learning about companies and understanding their control structure so I you know, can figure out how we can help them, how we can give them recommendations that they can implement. When you talk about control structures, you mean things like separation of duties or yes. um, checks on security so that the people that are accessing the system only have certain rights that's like the, correct. The minimum rights that they need to do what they need to do and not extra stuff, right? Yes, exactly. So, you know, uh, 
most of the company's financials come from one of the systems. Mm -hmm. And what was happening back in the day, one person can take a transaction through the system without anyone else touching that transaction. So I can create a vendor, I can uh, pay that vendor, I can then, you know, determine where that check goes for that vendor, which leads to fraud because, uh, or could lead to fraud, um, or errors too, but fraud is one of the bigger reasons because one, I could either a friend be set up, you know, or pretend to be a vendor and the company never get any products and services, but I'm also the receiving clerk. So I can check off that this item that we've ordered has been received. And then I send the payment or I can even do it for myself, you know, create some type of a, a dummy company with my address um, and then pay myself that way. Um, and a number of companies actually lost money that way. But then there are also other ways um, outside of just fraud. Um, you can have uh, errors. Um, you can also just have um, things that are, because uh, when you are developing code, and I know we're kind of getting into the technical realm, but when you're, de and, and that's where a lot of errors could potentially happen or intentional, but when you're developing code, you have the ability to determine how things are being calculated. So you can determine that one times one is equal to 100 versus one. Um, and if there aren't checks and balances in place to validate that one times one is one, then you know the company could be losing money and not realize it. I always remember when I was in, in college, one of the things they always talked about was the Lloyd um, fraud where I think the guy changed one of the configuration by like a penny and he was ciphering that to his own account and the, I think he ended up getting millions of dollars so oh my gosh <laughs> you know so now ensuring that the same person who is creating and developing the, the um, configuration is not the person who is making that configuration the final configuration of the system or at least having somebody inserted to check it and make sure that it's doing what the company thinks it's doing How, that's you know that's kind of what we call the control structure gotcha. now with cybersecurity, the security piece is getting focused i think with socks um this change management piece was the big deal then security was important but now with cybersecurity and personal information and having protecting that personal information security is being put on the map so to speak mm -hmm. very good so I know you got into this kind of a little by accident because you were you were down an accounting path and then you just got interested in the IT side of things. But what surprised you about this work that you didn't expect before you got into it? It is interesting. Um, you know, when you at least when I thought of accounting, I thought boring. Um, and even finance to some extent. Um, but then even though um IT audit is not truly core IT. You have the ability to learn a lot about the technical side of what companies do, because before you can offer a company recommendation, you have to understand what they have configured, what they have in place, what systems they have, what infrastructure that system sit on, um, and then how they're securing their environment, um, how they're ensuring that, you know, they're protecting another big area in the IT controls realm is disaster recovery. If you remember 9-11, a number of companies went under because all of their operations were in that building, um, mm. either Tower 1 or Tower 2. They did not have uh, any of that information backed up to a different location. Um, now we all have phones, um, and you'd be surprised to know how many people do not back up their pictures and their contact information 
outside of their phone. So the phone falls in some water and that's all of their information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's also one of the areas that we look at because in 2018, 2019, there's still companies that do not back up data or do not back up frequently, which may sound surprising. <laughs> that is surprising. <laughs> it is true. Um, mm-hmm. And helping them understand why it's important and, or understand why it's important to back it up to something other than the machine where you have the information or mm-hmm. outside of the building where you have your information so that you can access it if something happened. Because we all have, you know, I might have people say, well, we're not in a floodplain. Okay, but a pipe can burst, mm-hmm. you know? So <laughs> there, the risks are still there. And, you know, we help companies understand what their risks are so that they can design controls that can help them mitigate those risks. That's terrific. So a lot of computing is moving to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And how are you managing those same risks when the companies don't own the servers and the computers that the work is really being done on? So two things. The company now has to hold their service provider, that cloud provider, accountable. Mm-hmm. And they also are still accountable because at the end of the day, it's their data. It's their information. As a client of theirs, I gave them my information. I did not give the cloud my information. So when mm-hmm. something happens, I go to the company that I gave my information to. So what companies are doing, there's something called a stock report, service organization controls report. So the cloud service providers have auditors come in and review their controls. And one of the reasons why the cloud service providers are so successful because they are doing such a large scale um, operation, they can afford to have, you know, the best auditors come in, validate their controls, and they can afford to put robust controls in place. So they, a lot of these companies, the larger cloud providers, I guess I should say, because some of the smaller ones are not as uh, sophisticated, but the larger ones, they have very robust controls in place and they love to have auditors come in and (laughs) look at it and try to tear it apart so that they can demonstrate that their controls are robust. And even those large companies have uh, incidents happen. You know, that's why the Amazons of the world, they have data centers on both coasts, mm-hmm. you know, and different places because things happen. Um, for companies that do not have the infrastructure in place to support that in-house, putting it on the cloud is probably the next best thing because it's going into a secure infrastructure. Now, where some companies think, oh, I just put it in the cloud and it's okay. <laughs> you have to ensure the cloud companies, in those SOC reports, there's something called complementary user entity controls. And what that says is, I have this gate, but you design the lock and you design who has access to that lock and companies don't realize that. So they think, Oh, it's in the cloud. It's okay. But no, there are those complementary user controls. If you are not doing those things, then the cloud service provider can say, well, we did what we're supposed to do, but they came in through the gate. We put up the fence and the infrastructure, but the people come, came through the gate because they didn't put a lock on the gate like they were supposed to. They will tell you what are the things, you know, they may say, you know, you, you must authorize all users that are granted access or for uh, firewalls, the firewalls 
um, it's kind of the um, router, I guess, so to speak. It's, it, I'm trying to find a, a good way to explain it. Um, but the firewalls protect the network. So if you know if you if you have internet traffic, it has to flow through the firewall. The firewall validate that this traffic is coming from a computer that's authorized before it can view your information. But you have to set up the firewall to do that. The cloud mm -hmm. service provider is not configuring your firewalls to tell it which of your people can come in and view your information. And sometimes okay. companies don't realize that. So it's easier, but you have to take the steps to also ensure that you're doing those things that you need to do. Okay. Thank you for that. So, um, you know, I think it's fascinating the way this world is changing um, in terms of IT and, and just all of the technology that's available and the way our platforms are changing. I grew up in IT back in the day, and um, it seems like this is a place that is um, ripe with opportunity for people just coming out of college yeah. um, or maybe even looking for a career change. What would you say to someone who's interested in learning more about whether or not they might be a fit for this industry? What kinds of um, resources are available to them to learn more? Um, and this is tricky because I wish schools, and I think some schools are getting there because ideally the colleges will be providing guidance in this area because there's so many career opportunities in the IT field, even in public accounting. So even the traditional, pub, the traditional accountant or auditor is different now. Um, for the financial audit teams, they're adding data scientists and they're adding data analysts. So those are fields that maybe five to 10 years ago, it wasn't a thing. And right. people did not know that. Even four years ago, some people entered school and that was not a career path. And now you're graduating here as this opportunity. Project manager, you know, um, you know, on, even if you're on the company side, project managers are in great demand. Uh, certified information system security professionals, you know, they're in great demand. So, it could be um, intimidating, but Google is probably the best place to start because that usually has the most updated information. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you a number of the universities. So when you know when you look up you know careers in auditing or careers in IT auditing, you'll see that it's no longer traditional just controls management. There are risk management um, roles, um, security roles, the data roles, like I said, and the data roles are becoming more and more. Um, uh, uh, important because of big data all, you know companies have all this data they have somebody has to analyze that data mm -hmm. and assess it and determine you know how can we use it um, even for auditors you're getting information from a company you want to know is this all the information that I need so let's say you're auditing an insurance company you get a list of claims you have to perform procedures to come to ensure that that list of claims has all the claims that you wanted to see for the period of time you wanted to see it. So you may say, I need to see all claims for 2018 over a million dollars. Well, how do you know that this report that they gave you has all that information on it? You have to do some type of validation procedures to get comfortable that the information on the report is complete and then do your audit procedures to, you know, understand the, uh, test the accuracy of it. Um, a lot of times also the bigger firms, so in public accounting, the big four firms and, and some of the larger public accounting firms, they also have a lot of information from their website that can potentially help. But again, that may be skewed to their companies alone. So I would say start with, you know, just a broad search in Google, depending on what aspect of IT you're interested in 
and then kind of use, um, you know, I would, I always go for a known site. So like if I'm Googling something and let's say Harvard is in the top six, I probably will click on the Harvard business reviews, you know, mm-hmm. uh, point of view and, and read there first before going to the next thing. Cause th- some, there's some things that make you go, hmm, I don't know. So I say, <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So what about for, um, people of color in this industry, I would imagine that there's a predominance, especially in management ranks um, and probably in some of the bigger companies. I know a lot of the bigger companies are really committed to diversity initiatives, Mm -hmm. but I would imagine that it's common for, excuse me, for a person of color who goes into this work to be the only on their team or the only in their department what resources or organizations are available in this industry so that uh, people can feel supported, feel like they have a community in this space? Yep. And it's interesting. So public accounting generally, yes, is still pretty traditional, um, all white male, but I've noticed the IT audit side is very diverse. Um, it, it's, it's very interesting, um, because I think it's one of those areas where your skill, yes, politics play a part, but your, your skill set is needed and your skill set is valued and respected. Um, and there are a number of resources. Um, most of the bigger firms have affinity groups, um, that, you know, they're either women's groups, uh, groups that are by race. Um, and then even for uh, sexual and gender type diversity, there are groups for that. Um, and then outside of the firms, there are also various uh, groups that, you know, there's Women in Technology, there's National Association of Black Accountants, there's National Society of Black Engineers. There are a number of affinity groups that are out there that they focus on helping minorities, one, connect with each other, and two, uh, be exposed to the resources and, and the development that they need in order to progress in their organizations. And it's one of those things where I personally feel like it's, I, I um, when I started in public accounting, I uh, was a member of the National Association of Black Accountants. And I felt like that really helped me to one, understand what it takes to be a professional. It helped me to expand my network because I got to meet not only people in my firm, but also people in other firms. I got to meet professionals at my level, um, professionals that were higher than me, professionals that were my gender, my race, also outside of that. And that really helped me to have a wider uh, view, a point of, wider point of view and different points of view as I progressed through my career. Some people feel as though these groups sometimes hinder your career. And I'd say it only does that if you're not being smart about how you're using your time. Because sometimes I think people use this opportunity only for social networking. They don't use it for any technical development. They don't use it to help others. Um, Like one of the areas I have focused on as I was coming up in my career was the development of college students. So things that I learned, I would go back and present on campus or, you know, um, in that I was director of student member services. So, you know, help them build some of the governance documents Um, and even talk to some of the professors about some of the things that I'm seeing and things that they should be implementing and instilling in their students. Um, So I I am a firm believer in it. Now I can tell you that my white counterparts will always be like, well, why do we need a group for black? people what would happen if we had a group for white people it's like kind of technically we do so <laughs> kind of all may- the groups are for white people unless they're not saying specifically <laughs> that they're not 
Yeah, because I think I think sometimes you get discriminated against. You know, people don't want to do it because they don't want to say that I'm in this group that you know is and and the group may be you know it has black or Latino or whatever in the name. Um, there's there's um alpha. There's also the um ascend for the Asians, but even though the groups have that in the name. We welcome everyone because we realize that we need that perspective from, you know, the white male manager, you know, the white female manager, because they're the ones that can help us understand what their points of view are, is or are. And then we can also help them because sometimes they realize, oh, wait, my view might be skewed or I was never exposed to anyone outside of my town, my city, my race, you know. Um, so usually it's a two way learning experience. So I want to make I want to put a really fine point on that because. I always tell people, go to the conference that's not for you. Show up at the meeting that's not for you. If you're at a conference, go to the breakout where you're not on the menu, mm -hmm. right? Like find the place where you're different yeah. and go listen. And because I think it's important for people, you know, the same person who says, why do we need an association of, of black accountants? Mm -hmm. That's the person that needs to go to the meeting to listen to yeah. learn why they need associations of black accountants, right? Yeah. They have no idea what kinds of barriers are in place for people who don't look like them. And so, um, you know, I always, I always challenge people and they say, well, yeah, but you know, like I, how do I even, how do I learn about this? Yeah. Go sit down in the back of the room. Don't raise your hand, take notes, pay attention. And well, what if somebody asks me what I'm doing there? And I say, tell them you're there to learn and then zip it. Yeah. And <laughs> like, nobody's going to ever get mad at you because you want to learn more about their experience. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so thank, you for, thank you for being on that, for, on that train with me. <laughs> yep. And I've had people who said being in that room where they were the only really opened their eyes because they're, they're sitting there and they're like, Oh my goodness, I'm so uncomfortable. And, and then they don't, they, they start realizing like this is so and so from my group who is the only, you know, this is probably how they feel. And I think sometimes that's such good advice to give because going out there and experiencing, there's nothing that compares to that. Hearing secondhand about it, I don't think you could fully appreciate it. I always like it's a parenthood, you know, before you have a child, you have all these things that you know exactly how to raise a child, how a child should behave, everything. And then you have yours and you're like, oh my goodness, this is not anything like I thought it would be. I can't control my child. My child runs wherever. You start to appreciate parents more because you realize how difficult it is to be a parent. So sometimes you do have to sit in that person's shoes so that you can understand what they experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's so funny because I, yeah, I think my kids on that point, I think each one of my kids exists for the sole purpose of proving me wrong on something I said before I had children. <laughs> so, I don't want to get off topic, but yes, you are right about that. It is so much easier to be a good parent before you have kids. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, you know, that self-awareness and that self-consciousness that they feel for the first time, you know, I mean, people can get go a long way through their lives with never having that kind of um, moment where they have to be self-aware and they feel very self-conscious. And when they realize in that moment that other people have felt that way for, you know, 25, 30, 45, 50 years, right? Yep. In their careers. 
And, you know, I think there's just an amazing amount of empathy that can happen in, in, in those, um, in those epiphanies. So I'm, I'm so glad to hear someone else say, come to the meeting. <laughs> yes. No, it's, it's so important. Um, it, and, and you can never, never not benefit from being there. It will be uncomfortable. I cannot promise you that it won't be uncomfortable because people will probably look at you like, hmm, <laughs> is she <laughs> fine? I, what? Do I have to be careful what I say? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, people do, um, in some of these meetings, people do get a level of comfort where they share openly. And sometimes if there's somebody in the group of that, of that group that they're talking about, they may not share as comfortably, but you need to be there. You need to understand some of the things that people see. And, and I always, I, I always, even to my colleagues, um, to my black friends, I'm like, you have to also look on the other side. So some of them, you know, yes, at work, we're usually the only, but sometimes going to some of these other conferences and understanding the expectations can help us also. So, you know, I have always tried to not only go to my NABA conference, but I also go to my ISACA conference, which is the, you know, the Information Systems Accounting and Control Association, which governs the work I do. And now that I'm in the insurance industry, I go to the, you know, the insurance accounting and and systems association conference okay. because i want to develop the technical knowledge and the technical skills so that i can have those conversations and be comfortable and you re you start to realize there's some people who are just idiots and that's just who they are but more and more when you go out and meet other people you realize that getting people and having them learn a little about you and you learn about them breaks down some of those barriers because a lot of things are just perception they're not reality they don't really just hate you because you're a black woman. You know, sometimes they just, they don't know what to say to you. And even for me, it's a little harder because not only am I a black woman, I'm a black woman from a different country. <laughs> so some of the things that are culturally acceptable and expected, I don't always know what that is. Um, and my friends always, you know, they gave me the whole bless your heart, bless your heart, you know, kind of. <laughs> because sometimes I just don't know. Right. But I am not afraid to learn. I am not afraid to learn and I'm always going out there so that I can learn and develop and become a better person. I think that's fantastic. So you and I had talked before about how we each, each of us, not each me and you, but each of us, you know, people in general, we kind of contribute to the de facto segregation and the, um, the narrowing of our own professional networks and our own communities and, you know, only hanging out with people that are just like us until we had that moment, right. right? When we realize, Oh my gosh, I've done this to myself and I didn't even realize it. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about um, your experience with that. Sure. Um, so when I moved to the U S and I started my public accounting career, I was in New York and, um, I remember my first time going to training. Um, I, it was, let's say 2000 professionals and, uh, the black professionals were a very small group there. We were there for two weeks. The first few days I would always go find my friends and, you know, go sit at that table. And I, I don't remember if somebody said something to me. I don't remember what it was, but one day I decided, you know what, let me just go sit in one of tables and i can tell you i mean of those 2000 people if we had a hundred people that were not white that probably was a large amount so you know if, if, I'll, I'll go a little off topic for a second 
I've always heard people say, you know, oh, is that so-and-so? And, you know, they may take you for somebody else. And then black folks will be like, why do they think we all look alike? Being in that room made me, like, there were, like, so many guys that to me, I couldn't tell who was Joe from Jim from Bob. Made me, like, really understand how it is that we can all look alike. But side note. But being there and looking around and seeing all these different people, I decided, you know, let me go sit with people who are not from New York, who are not Black, who I've never met before. So I started for lunch um, and dinner breaks, just going to sit at random tables with people that I had not met before. I, you know, I developed relationships. I met people who I was so similar to that I, you know, it, it was very interesting. Um, and after that, even at work, you know, I start having conversations. I remember I was on a team once um, and then, you know, and I always said that if you heard the conversations and the things we talked about as a team or the shows we watch and the music we listen to and people just told you the thing and you had to map it to the person, you would get it wrong because the person who could quote the movie Friday was not the black girl on the team. And the person whose favorite movie was Pretty Woman was not the white girl on the team, you know. And that's where I start realizing that we have a lot more similarities than differences. And the only way I got to know that was to step out of my comfort zone and go meet people that I had not met before and be uncomfortable. And it wasn't even, I mean, yes, at first, you know, it, it takes a little, you have to build a mind. But once you sit there, people are pretty friendly. There are some who are not as friendly, but for the most part, people were friendly and willing to, you know, open up. Thank you for sharing that. I, you know, I think if we all start with just being a little uncomfortable at first, yeah. And then what used to be a little uncomfortable becomes comfortable. Yeah. And then we start to be a little uncomfortable again. And pretty soon you build that muscle memory to where it's not all that uncomfortable anymore. Yeah. And I'll share another story. Um, oh, please. I have two kids. I have a, a, a almost nine-year-old and a six-year-old. And I remember when my son, who's the older one, was in preschool and we had to look for an elementary school. Um, we looked at a number of schools, private school, public school, charter schools. And one of the things that um, I think he was in pre-K uh, and, and he was telling us about a friend in his class and something that he said, but he wanted to... This, so I think he told us the boy's name, but we didn't know the name. We didn't recognize the name. So we were like, oh, which one is this? And, and he's like, well, the one that looks like people on TV. And we realized he didn't have, you know, because he had just went to, he just started this new preschool. But before that, he, all the years that he was at preschool, it was a predominantly black preschool. So he didn't have any white boys um, in his school. And then we started looking around and realizing that that was our network. So we made a concerted effort that wherever he goes to real school is going to be a diverse place because he really shouldn't have to describe somebody based on what they look like on TV. He should know them, be able to relate to them, have relationships with them. And it's so great now to see that he has such a diverse network. And I, I feel like I can't wait to see kind of what their future look like, because I think they will have a different perspective on diversity than we do, because to them, it's like, that's just my friend. That's not my white friend. That's not my black friend. That's my friend. Uh, oh, I so. sure hope so. Yeah, I sure hope so. And I think, I think there's another angle to that too, which is it's sad that the representation that he sees on TV is so predominantly white. Different story, but yes. Yes. 
I didn't want to let that moment pass. I think that, you know, there's, I think there's another lesson in there um, about media and representation and those sorts of things. But, um, but I, you know, I, I'm grateful. um, I'm grateful for other parents out there who, you know, can self-reflect on the kinds of experiences and exposure that their kids are getting and say, oh, we need to be intentional about this. We need to be intentional about you know, bringing more diversity, um, and, and exposing our children to, to different types of people. So, um, I was wondering, I know that you have experience as a volunteer leader within some of the companies that you've worked in around bringing together diverse employees and their allies. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about, um, what drove you, what motivated you to, to do that work which can be exhausting and thankless and on your own time and in addition to your day job. Um, and also just a little bit about what you got out of that experience. Yeah, sure. I think I've always had a service mentality, um, servant leader type mentality because growing up my dad always for birthdays and holidays took us to um, places where we can volunteer to help others. He was a baker, so he would bake and then we would serve the, uh, you know, he'll take us to different homes. One was a children's home for children who had polio and then one was an old people's home. When I moved to the U.S., I um, first started volunteering at the library um, for people who couldn't read. And I I realized, because the thing that attracted me was this flyer that said, if you can read this, you can help because there are people who can't read this. I was like, really? And I met people who were over 21, all the way up to like 60 that couldn't read. And I'm talking about, don't know that T-O-I-L-E-T is toilet. They just use the picture on the door to know that that's where they go to use the bathroom. In school, I volunteered throughout school. Um, I used to help kids with homework. Um, but then once I got into the profession and I realized that there are opportunities, one, to network with others like myself, but also to help others in in in, um, in the firms, I, I loved it. I jumped at that opportunity. So I moved from New York to Indiana um, in my second year. Um, as a professional and being in Indiana, I did not have a lot of others that looked like me in the firm. We didn't have enough to have like a black um, employees network. So we ended up with a multicultural circle, which was great because we had people from different parts of the world, different genders, different thought processes. And because we didn't have um, like black partners or Indian partners, our leaders were the white partners. So that really helped us. One, we got the support we needed, but two, we were able to have conversations and understand what it took to grow in the firm. Um, One of the things that I did uh, was to organize these mini, um, what did we call them? It was like breakfast with a leader. So each partner would meet with uh, three to four professionals from the group for either lunch or breakfast and just get to know each other. Um, that was so powerful, um, you know, and I still have relationships with some of those people today, even though I'm no longer with that firm. You know, one one of my partners would always tell me about this client um, contact that he wanted me to meet. And, you know, people always tell you they want you to meet people. But when I finally met the person that he wanted me to meet, the first thing the person said to me is, this guy really respects you. He has been telling me about you for the past year. And wow. that... 
sometimes you you un, you don't realize that you don't have that you don't get that where you know people will say whatever but they don't follow up with your, with their actions that matched it uh, with that magic and so i think that whole experience i still say that i think one if i stayed in india i probably would still be with that firm but it's just that really helped me to grow as a person helped me understand my weaknesses things i need to develop helped me educate others on us as a group and help them see you know us as we are high performing professionals just like everybody else we just have differences but those differences are not hindrances so you know educating them and then educating ourselves it, it was just a really powerful experience that's breaking down the walls between you right and you know i think so many times people look when they look to mentor they look for people who are just like them yeah because that's what's the most comfortable not because there's any animosity right between them and an, and another group or not because they harbor any ill will just because they don't want to be uncomfortable for that first minute either yeah. and so what you really did was you took away that discomfort and opened up you know opened up the the channel for people to be mentored and yeah. you know to find for executives to find mentors that didn't look just like them right. and that's powerful yep it was very powerful and really helpful because a lot of times you really do try to go to people that look like you and one of the things i've learned is you need people as mentors who's who have had similar experiences to you but it doesn't matter what they look like mm -hmm. if you are a high performing individual who are on the fast track in your company it is very helpful for you to have a high performing mentor because having a mentor that may take you know 3 or 5 years less than you would take to get to a level they may not understand what you need to do to get there because they didn't do that but having a white mentor versus a black mentor probably won't make a difference to you because what you need more is someone who has the technical capabilities and the connections to get you where you need to go and i think people uh undervalue the need to have advocates because the advocates are the people who have the power to connect you and also sell you um, and get you to where you you aspire to go. Having a mentor is great, but if your mentor does not advocate for you, you know, then you may not be getting the best out of that relationship. And I think sometimes why people try to get, build the relationship, the mentor type relationship with people who look like them, is because they may have tried to develop a trusting relationship with someone who broke that trust, and then they associated that breaking that uh, relationship with the person's race. No, that person is probably a person who would have broken somebody's trust regardless of who it is that they're mentoring. And yes, I I do, you know, accept that there are people who had it been somebody different, they may have acted differently, but I'm learning now that it's a smaller group of people. It's not as large a group of people as we think. And sometimes we generalize that one-off experience and kind of, you know, take the brush and paint the whole wall with it to say, you know, all white men, you can't trust them because this is what happened to me. But, you know, you'll learn that sometimes you can trust people more than you think. And, and a lot of the people that have helped me in my career have not looked like me. A lot of them were not my same gender. Um, and, you know, they were very honest with me. And I think what was helpful was for me to be open-minded and receive information. Because what I've learned is sometimes we're not receptive to constructive feedback. And because of that, we are not given the truth. 
So we don't really know the reason why we didn't make it to the next level. And a lot of times it's not just because of what we look like, but it's because of what our work output looked like, <laughs> which, you know, as we all know, there is no color there, you know, so, but if you don't know that your work is not of the quality that is, you know, expected of you, then you, you may not know that you need to improve your work quality. That is true. And a lot of times we have to have trusting relationships to get good feedback. Yes. It's yes. you have to build that relationship first so that people know that they can trust you with their feedback and how you receive feedback is so important as to whether you will get it a second time. Yes. And, and I, I tell people yes. don't punish the people <laughs> who praise you because if somebody's giving you a compliment, if somebody's telling you you did a good job, and you belittle that praise, they're not gonna tell you next time. Yeah. And you're not gonna know when you're on the right track. And you may hear something constructive that you don't wanna hear, but if you can say, thank you for making me better, I'd like to think about that. Even if you do nothing with it, if all yeah. you say is, thank you, I'd like to think about that. That goes so far in building a relationship with someone. And then if you do actually think about it and come back to them with questions later, even better, right? Because yeah. they know that you've, that you really have a desire to improve. So I spot on, I'm, oh, I love talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't tell you, like, I, it, it is hard because you do not want to hear that you suck. And, you know, you don't. And I, I can tell you that I have received feedback that hurt me to my core. And I'm sure my facial expression and my reaction was not the most receptive, but I went away and realized, oh my goodness, this is true. And one of the things that I had to realize, there's this one person who, I had one shot to work with her and I had come to her with a lot of praise and you know all this stuff surrounding me and I screwed up. And you know, she had a lot of influence in what happened to my career that year and I was mad, but then, you know, it took a while, but then I realized she only had one shot at me and I screwed that shot up. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't, you know, she didn't find all the errors in my work. I put the errors there. I missed the stuff, but at the time it was happening, it was not easy for me to realize that, um, you know, you have to really sometimes, like you said, just say, thank you for making me better and go away and think about it and not just be like, what, where, how, what I did, you know, thank you for making me better. I like that. I think when I use that. <laughs> <laughs> so in the time that we have left, I'd love for you to answer two, like finish two of my sentences. The first okay. one is I feel included when, I feel included when my opinions are asked and respected. Okay. And the second sentence is, when I feel included, I? When I feel included, I am happy and I'm usually looking for ways to help include others. Thank you so much, Yusa. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. This was so much fun and I... Hope we get to talk again soon. I'm sure we will. All right. All right. Take care. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. 
Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.